Welcome to Smashing Through Walls with Carla McGee. Whether you are just pulling up a seat to the table, breaking a glass ceiling, or smashing through walls, grab your favorite mug and join us on the first and third Friday at 11 o'clock for candid conversations with industry experts and decision makers as we navigate and explore all the things related to real estate and community. Hey everyone, welcome back to Smashing Through Walls with Carla McGee, where we don't just want to break the glass ceiling, we want to smash down the walls. Today, I'm super excited to have Dimitri Downing with us, the founder of MIDA. Is that how we're, is that how we say the acronym? MIDA. Okay, I was saying MIDA, and I'm like, is that right? Right? So he's the founder of MIDA, MIDA. And we'll go through what that means later. And he has brought some awesome guests with him. So I'm super excited for everyone to introduce themselves. And we'll go ahead and let that happen. Yeah, sure. Dimitri Downing, founder of Mita. I'm an ex-prosecutor, Arizona native, been in the industry, cannabis industry since 2012. Quite a journey with dispensaries, retail, all that. 2016, I founded Mita, 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 <laughs> uh, because I recognize the need for education, not just of individuals, but industry professionals, for networking, for a community which creates transparency, accountability, opportunities. So in 2016, we started Mita. It's evolved over the years. We can talk about that. And uh, yeah, 2022, we've been through a lot. It's a big journey, but uh, I did bring a couple of my favorite people here today. So uh, it's Ari and Julia. Uh, so uh, I'll let them introduce themselves. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Julia Voluzzi, and I am a cannabis industry consultant. I specialize in operations, compliance, and licensing. So, I'm Ari Munoz. I've been in the industry for the last five to six years doing marketing, branding, um, hiring people for different companies, and now I'm here with Mita. Um, I'm the director of special projects and head of social equity, so all the information regarding social equity. I'm Audra Travis. I am a teammate of Carla with MHG Commercial. You said smashing through walls and theme of the cannabis industry is breaking down barriers, exactly. creating new realities. And these two women are doing just that. So I'm thrilled that they're here with us. Well, anytime we're trying to change the perception, right, of the norm in society, whether that's women coming into male-dominated workforces or trying to, you know, change the outlook or the perception of marijuana, I think we're, we're smashing through walls. I just was so excited to have you guys on here because I feel like we're all trying to accomplish the same things with that and just kind of changing the, what is the current reality and perception. So we met Dimitri, we, Audra, not we, Carla, I wasn't there, through MEDA. What does MEDA stand for? MEDA stands for Marijuana Industry Trade Association. Some people say cannabis, we say marijuana. Right. We didn't want to combat the politically correct right. uh, battle as well as the ending prohibition battle. So we go straight after the uh, those who don't understand that marijuana cannabis is a therapeutical remedy. It's an herbal remedy and prohibition is not the model for management in, the, in any way. So we just called it marijuana because I found real quickly, 2012, 13, 14, 15, when I started this journey, that if you said cannabis, you lost your audience. Okay. And they're like, what, what is cannabis? They're like, oh, why are you trying to change the word marijuana into cannabis? Okay, so I'm not going to fight that battle. I'm going to fight the legalization battle. And the legalization, for those that are listening that don't know, the legalization was last year, right? 2021, January, we, vote, we Arizona, voted on Prop 207. Um, Dimitri, weren't you involved in the writing of that proposition? Or how involved were you in that prop? 
Yeah, and just a real quick brief overview. Sure. Uh, you know, marijuana has been illegal 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. They invented this concept called medical marijuana, and I was prosecuting at the time. I found it quite fascinating. 2010, it was drafted in 2009, passed in November 2010, January 2000, uh, January 2011. They started the process of creating a, a system in Arizona to implement the initiative that was passed by the voters. Remember, this isn't a legislative process, it's an initiative process, which creates incredible, unique distinctions. So January 2011, they started the process. They finally finished it in May of 2012. Licenses were issued on August 8, 2012. At that point, we had medicinal marijuana. Colorado switched over from medicinal to adult use. Washington switched over from medicinal adult use. We kind of saw it coming. We drafted an initiative for the 2016 ballot. That initiative was drafted in 2015, 2016. Arizona voted down by like a few thousand votes. And then we came back to the ballot in, 20, in November 2020 for implementation in January 2021. But that was drafted in 2019. Again, the entire time I was trying to convince the legislators, Republicans and Democrats, to legalize. And now they're stuck with a whole set of problems because they didn't do it themselves. We can talk about that theme if you want to. Uh, but so now... January 2021, adult use has happened. We have adult use, we have medicinal use, and um, yeah, here we are today. So that is a fascinating topic, question. Why Why do you think that there's a plethora of problems right now? Because in the legislation, is that with Prop 207 or? No, well, I mean, you know, we're still changing liquor laws 100 years after prohibition ended, you right. know, so it, marijuana law will always evolve. Always evolve. There will always be subtle changes. As a matter of fact, the entire industry structure probably should be turned on its head. I said it publicly. <laughs> Somebody's going to call me out on that. That's fine. Right. That's but the fine. truth of the matter is, I'm a free market economist. I'm a libertarian. I'm an Arizona and I'm an American and I believe in free enterprise. And that's not what we have. So we can have that whole debate, discussion right. any day, anytime, anywhere. I'd like to hear people justify limited licensing, restricted license, specialized licensing. But that's a big aspect of what we have in Arizona here today. So regardless of what you believe or what you have, everything needs adjustment. And when you something goes through the initiative process in Arizona, it becomes subject to something called the Voter Protection Act, VPA. So it becomes VPA legislation. And VPA legislation cannot be changed in any manner whatsoever, any detail, any I, any T, without 75% vote of both the House and the Senate, approval of the governor, of course, and subject to approval of the court. So nobody wants to touch it. Uh, because it's almost impossible to meet those thresholds down there at the Capitol. So even if you like need a dot and I across a T, it's really difficult. So in 10 years of medical marijuana, we had one change. And I helped guide that through. One, two changes. You mm -hmm. know, And then now we have the adult use. So we're not going to have any changes for like 10 years because it's just so difficult to do things out of the legislature. So the wise things to do is to have things done through majority vote and not subject to the court approval, but the court review and do things through the legislative process. But that's not what happened in marijuana. I educated individual, individual, individual. We hope that Doug Ducey would see the trend. He didn't. 60% of Arizona's decided in 2020 to go ahead and legalize cannabis. He was wrong. A lot of people were wrong. Um, and uh, here we are today. And Arizona, unfortunately, needs to be a state that's governed properly and wisely. And the wisest way is to not let things go through the voter initiative process. But sometimes people have to speak and their will was spoken and now it's written in, almost in stone. You're more likely to change the King James Bible <laughs> than you are the cannabis policy in Arizona. 
Do you, would that be, unless it becomes a federal regulation, then would that change what Arizona's policy looks like? I tell you, you could write dissertations on all these themes. So I'm right. trying to simplify like right. this giant, and I'm always looking at Julia because <laughs> Julia is the only person to say, to be sure you're just wrong. Okay? <laughs> well, it's okay, yeah, Julia, I mean, you can tell him. You know, it's it's just, you know, the licensing in Arizona is very restrictive. I mean, there's only, you know, 138 licensed operators. That's 138 retail locations for a state that has the population of about 7 million people. You take a look at New Mexico right next door. They have a population of 2 million and they have open licensing. The, the um, RLD just opened up licensing to, you know, micro businesses, micro retailers. What's RLD? Licensing and development. Okay. Um, it's like a rules licensing and development. Okay. I'll have to. It's fine. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but like they're, they're that's they're, their they're, regulation. They're, right. Okay. Right. And so they have going on over 300 dispensaries right now for a state that has a population of 2 million. Albuquerque alone has more dispensaries than the entire state of Arizona. So it's kind of like, is that, you know, there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. You so know? for us laymans, does what that mean is in Arizona, you have to have a license that in this, in our state, that it was pulled in a lottery format. That's it, right? Those are the licenses and those licenses get traded. And you're saying in New Mexico, it was like, as long as you meet permitting and zoning and you have the capital, you can create that as a business. Like that's right. the difference? Okay. Yes. And it used to be that they it was restrictive licensing to, you know, on the medical program, you had to apply for a license and it was restricted. And then when their legislation went through for adult use, they decided to open that up and allow for basically anyone who wants to run a cannabis business, go in and apply for a license, pay a fee. And the fees are very reasonable. You can be a micro cultivator, you know, a, a delivery, I think, um, retailer, manufacturer, you know, whatever you want. Yeah. And, and you know, it's great that just, this, Julia deals with reality. I deal right. with what is possible. Right. Okay. Which Big is, picture. Yeah. We have, you know, and you asked about federal legalization, but it's very important for your business people out there, your real estate people out there to remember no market structure is sacred. Okay. So I existed before there was a market structure for cannabis. Before the market structure for cannabis was cartels, college kids growing in their dorms, somebody growing in grandma's greenhouse. That was the market structure. That was what we had prior to the end of prohibition and the creation of a medical marijuana market structure. The only reason we have a medical marijuana market structure in Arizona is because some people in DC needed to put it into their initiative so they could legalize cannabis, mar marijuana. That's all they wanted to do. So if we legalize marijuana, we have to create a supply chain. We have to create a market structure. So what should we do? Well, uh, let's do limited dispensaries uh, because that will uh, eliminate the perception that there might be a marijuana store on every corner, and that will help us politically. And let's just throw in limited manufacturing cultivation in there. What the hell? Right. What what kind of reality is that? Right. What kind of free and, market and, and, yeah, is that? Free market or yeah. just how many? Well, oh, sorry. If I just, how many industries in the entire state have a limited number of licenses, or restrictive licensing, or merit-based licensing, or specialized licensing for cultivation and manufacturing? It doesn't make any economic sense, but yet it was woven into the initiative. And now people coming to the industry think, oh, that's how the industry works. But that's not how the industry has to work. And that's very important for your businessmen, your entrepreneurs, your legislators, your politicians out there to reflect it's the people's industry. It's not an industry that necessarily belongs to us. It just so happens to be structured this way.
Yeah, it's like you have 138 operators that are controlling everything, you know, in the industry and only they can sell the product. And so, you know, sometimes you'll go to dispensaries and there'll be long lines, which, you know, people are waiting hours. It shouldn't be that way. There should, you know, it should be available, you know, to Imagine if we only had 138 (laughs) bars or 138 (laughs) liquor stores, right? That's the equivalent. But like if you're trying to relate it to the two, to me, that's what it would be like. Imagine if there was only 138 bars in our state where you could go drink wine or go have a microbrew or something like that. That would be insane. And that's that's what we're talking about. That's also a good uh, thing to bring up with Ari, for example. She came to Mita. She's been in the industry for five years since she graduated high school. She's been working in different aspects of the industry. She understands the cannabis consumer, cannabis patients, responsible cannabis use, all that stuff. So she came to Mita a year ago hoping as a social equity applicant to win a license. Uh, She didn't win a license, but she's a classic example of somebody who is 23 years old. She has big dreams, big ambitions, big skills, big knowledge, a woman who wants to grow in the cannabis industry. But she can't She's because of restrictive licensing right. here in Arizona. And, and and it's a nice paradigm improvement from the paradigm of prohibition. But too many individuals are resting comfortably in the paradigm of limited licensing. We need to open it up so more individuals like her can, can do what? To start brands, to start our own dispensaries, medical facilities. Honestly, just get out there into the world. They do make it a little harder. And it's basically like a a cash cow. So if you don't, if you don't have a whole bunch of cash, you really can't get into the business right now, unfortunately. There's just a huge disparity, it seems to me, yeah. right. between what's available and who's allowed. And to, who, who's to, controlling the licensing? Right. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, 138 operators that are controlling all the licensing at all levels. Well, and I think when they did the social equity piece of it, it seemed real, like it seemed good, right? It has the good buzzwords and it seemed warm and fuzzy and like we're trying to be equal for all. But but the cannabis industry is also very expensive to get into. Right. That's the other side of the coin. Yes, you can make a lot of money, but you can also lose a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's not without risk. Just like anything in life, you know, there is a certain amount of risk involved. And it's particularly difficult in cannabis because it's so heavily regulated and they're shifting regulations and many things that they're, you know, it's all new, right. you know, and new things like Delta 8, you know, that was a, a big hot topic for a while. And um, it's just new, constant changing and you have to have really, you know, good legal counsel, good accountants. You know, you have the 280E problem. Banking. 280E and what's Delta 8? There's two words you use that I don't know what those mean. So so Delta 8 is, is a... is a <laughs> For the layman, a, for, you know, people yeah. who just no, need a basic understanding. I want to yeah. hear. Well, it's a cannabinoid that um, is can be synthetically produced through CBD. So it's less expensive way to create a THC high, but you're using a hemp. Um, and it's a chemical process that converts it to Delta 8. And it still produces the same high that you would get with THC, but at a milder, I, I mean, I, I guess it affects everyone differently, right. um, but it's in very low doses. So you can take a lot more, I guess, or drink, you know, it's usually in beverages or gummies. It would or, be like, it wouldn't, it, to me, it seems like it would be more easily um, like controlled, like per- the percentage of like to like low, low dose. It. It's yeah. more low dose. And what was happening is, is that in a lot of other states, they were because it's not regulated, it was considered hemp and it was, you know, under 0.3% THC there, they were selling them in gas stations. And, you know, like the products were being sold, you know, 
openly in a lot of different places that weren't regulated, like outside of a dispensary. And so some states decided to prohibit Delta-8 products altogether. Others um, want to regulate it. It has to come through a licensed dispensary. You have to purchase it through a licensed dispensary because then there's, you know, testing that has to happen. And But really, you know, I'm, I'm similar to Dimitri in the sense that, if anything, I'm more of a libertarian. And I personally believe that it's up to the consumer to make their decisions about what products they want to use. I'm glad we brought Ari today because, you know, for the last year, I've been trying to figure out how to help get into the industry. And a lot of these people, I wouldn't case friends, acquaintances. I know I've been in, in this since the beginning. I know all the license holders. I know how it works. And it's very interesting. You see these different kinds of businessmen. Some businessmen are just happy to be here. Some want to actively manipulate and control the supply chain so they can maintain a higher price so they can have more profits. That's not my kind of businessman. You know what I'm saying? If you want to do that, try speaking about that on a radio station. You know, try, try, try debating right. me. Make it transparent. You know but And I used to be the other way around. I thought, oh, but this is exciting. We can control the supply chain. We can pass a piece of legislation in 2016 that flips the switch and then we control it for decades and decades. Hire the right lobbyists, convince the right, convince the right legislators that this has to be restrictive licensing so no one else can get in for the we right reasons. It. Yeah, spin right. them a little bit and then you got it. But that's just not right. And it took me like reflection to get to the point where I am today and meeting hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of people with like Ari and others with really good ideas, a lot of ambition and hopes and dreams. And all marketplaces, I mean, how many market, how many different industries, how many different markets have restrictive licensing? Sure, there's issues. If someone wants to enrich uranium, that probably has certain risks, and the government has a role in getting involved. I think maybe if somebody, you know, that, that probably is likely. But what is it about cannabis is a non-threatening plant that right. can be grown over here? And just as long as it's used responsibly and therapeutically, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So why the tremendous need for restrictive licensing? And and, and that, yeah, and, and, and as Julia said, you know, there, there does need to be restrictions. Like we can't have people selling it to high schools and stuff. Right. But the, a big philosophical concept that's gotten warped in the cannabis industry, uh, state by state, is that we need barriers to remaining in, not barriers to getting in. If you start doing that, you're talking about Minority Report. Tom Cruise, remember that movie mm -hmm. where they're judging people that they might be murderers in the future? You know, so they're putting them in jail before they even commit the murder. You can't live in a society like that. And if you put together a society where you have restrictive licensing, barriers to entry rather than barriers to remaining in, the safe production and distribution of cannabis needs to happen. The safe production and distribution of maybe radio stations needs to happen. Although the free press gets a lot with, you know, there's not a lot of licensing on the free press, but maybe, I mean, Trump would probably argue that there needs to be licensing on the free press, but that's okay. Not a story. So, but you know, if you start creating society where you create more and more barriers to entry, all you're doing is smashing and limiting the dreams of people like Ari. Right. So Ari, what, what, what was your vision? Like what, so Dimitri just said, like your, your poor dreams have been smashed. No, they're not smashed. Right. 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 A little squashed for a moment. You're also 23. And we know being gray hairs in the room that you have a long time to also achieve your dreams. But tell us about what you've gone through recently. Um, I mean, more recently, especially with like the whole licensing stuff, I mean, to apply for the license was pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. um, it was $4,000 per application. Non-refundable. Non-refundable. And there was um, 1,500 other people like myself who were trying to apply. Um, 
people that were supposed to be coming from disproportionately affected areas, low poverty areas. So we kind of expected these people to have money um, in order to be able to apply. Thankfully, my family and everybody was able to come up with the money. So I was grateful enough to apply. But creating this idea of like limiting licensing and having people to come up with this money to create the social equity program and expect them to try to be able to compete with other people, I feel like was a little low. And I mean, if it was an opportunity that people could have gotten at any time, like if it was a a free market and licensing was open to the public at all times, if that fee was the same fee, I mean, it would be understandable. But to make it like kind of one-time allocation for people who are coming from a low poverty place, um, it was super difficult, um, especially for people like myself. Um, I wasn't one of the people that was chosen, but I have backup plans. So I'm not not giving up yet. What are your backup plans? Um, I want to hear some of these. I'm in the middle of trying to create my own campaign cannabis brand, um, okay. a full line of products, flower, concentrates, cartridges. Um, I want sun-grown products, super healthy. What's sun-grown? Sun-grown. 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 Yeah. So. It's another dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> it's the difference between having like an outside grow and having the sun actually perpetuate the plant versus using LED lighting or fake lighting in a, in a, in a warehouse-like would, setting. So exactly. like what I think of is like hydroponics, right? That's yeah, exactly. Indoor. That's okay. all indoor. Yeah. So yeah. I want to push the idea like you wouldn't grow your children under plants for or under lights for 18 years. So why do that to your plants? I like it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been trying to push that. So that's my main, oh, sorry. That's my main plan. And that's what I'm trying to focus on, especially trying to help other people like myself of the 13 other hundred people or 1400 people that weren't able to get in the, the licensing pool. I'm trying to figure out some kind of initiatives that we can help people build brands. Do we know how many people were in the social equity licensing pool? 1,506. And so 1,506. Well, and how many Technically, they, they each did two. So there was 750 people yeah. divided. Each person yeah. was allowed to do two applications. So about 750 human beings. It's hard to tell because some did once and right. two. So somewhere between 750 human beings and 1,506 human beings uh, did uh, applied. And uh, 26 were pulled. 26. Yeah. Two six. And out of those 26, probably the majority of them were partnered with large multi-state operators or interstate operators um, that already have six, ten dispensaries. And we can have a debate about whether that's important because I I don't think that's important. I just call them investors, grandma, Illuminati, dispensaries, intelligent people with money who partnered with social equity people to give them the $4,000 so they can go forward. And and mostly it's just a lottery for the social equity people. They're not going to really operate these dispensaries. They just got their number drawn. They were selected you know, they were targeted by, right. you know, for, for their, for their, um, I guess their qualifications to be a social equity candidate, right. which, and, which is basically demographics. Yeah. And, like mm-hmm. they don't have any money. They had some convictions there, you know, right. they came from a poor zip code right. and now you can be a social equity candidate, but it's really, you can win a lottery. You can win, you know, but a lottery that costs you $4,000. Correct. Yeah, it, it could also be a lottery that costs you $4,000 or an opportunity to create generational wealth for the rest of your family right. after for $4,000. So, because I'm trying to understand. So, it costs, say, $4,000 to even apply. Per application. Right. To even be chosen that is non-refundable. And then that's not even the cost of building your business. That's not the cost of real estate, um, attorneys, you know, capital, attorneys, employees, employees. Yeah. 
all the things yeah. that wrap your brain around creating a business. So that, that was just the ability. I'm just paying yeah. $4,000 for the ability. Right. To win a license and then you have to go out and find your financing, find your business partners. And that's why most of them partnered with a large operator. Because, Which makes sense. Right. They get they have the financing. And for the most part, these companies have, you know, they're like management companies and they have all their systems in place. And they may give this social equity candidate, you know, an opportunity um, within the organization, or they may offer to just buy them out totally. And you know, and, and, and for, for your for your listeners, because yeah. your listeners are probably more interested in the the bigger themes and how the cannabis industry right. works. Stuff. This social equity little thing that we happened here for last year is a a, a, a blip, blip. Yeah. a blip. It's a moment in time, but the bigger picture, the bigger issue is how the cannabis industry should be structured in general, how the market structure. You know, I was thinking we were talking about, she mentioned sun grown and stuff. I was thinking Julia could do like an analysis on the spot right now as to what the cost per huh. ounce is for sun grown versus LED versus incandescent. There's, but yeah. but the, the audience <laughs> is probably not going to be interested in that. Right. You know, they're probably more interested in how the industry works and how it became what the industry is today. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would urge everyone to understand that there's nothing sacred about our industry, our industry structure. Or any industry structure. Our industry being Arizona specific. Arizona's right? cannabis yeah. industry. I mean, yeah. there's 37 medicinal states. There's uh, more than a dozen adult use states. Federal legalization is coming, as as uh, you said. Every straight state structure is different. Some have vertical licensing. Some have horizontal licensing. Some have plant counts. Some have have plant you know canopy limits. Like yeah. in Arizona, they have unlimited cultivation but restricted retail. In New Mexico, they had plant count restrictions and now unlimited retail. So it's kind of like balancing that out, you know, so the supply and the demand can kind of come together and it it can become a true free market system with competition. Well, there's there's a lot of people that don't want it to become a free market system, which, but does New Mexico still have a plant count? Yeah, they do. You have to, you pay per plant. They increased it temporarily um, because they, there were some concerns they wouldn't have supply for legalization. They just went legal April 1st. um, So it's now literally like adult use, right? Okay. So they just went to adult use and they did very, you know, they sold quite a bit of product and there's a lot of issues with supply there. Um, there's worries that they'll run out of product at on 420, um, which is a big cannabis holiday coming up next week. Right. And this um, is how crazy it gets because you're talking about federal legalization. We probably should talk about that because that's the next big unknown. But, for example, in Arizona, we have unlimited plant count. So one enterprise can have thousands of unlimited 50 for the acres. Business, correct. Right. Okay. Well, unlimited to sell within the state of Arizona. Oh, OK. Right now. So you can plant a, a big 11 acre grow down in Santa Cruz County and you can get, you know, you can sell the entire state. No one has actually done like a hundred acre grow and just dropped the price of cannabis in Arizona. Somebody could, but nobody's done it because of the capital reasons. I was going to say that probably because there's yeah, not but, 100 but, acres available. But this is why business businessmen, business women, legislators, intelligent individuals, and citizens need to get actively involved and talk and think about the, the, the our, our industry structure. Because when it does flip, we're like, for example, competitively at an advantage over New Mexico because New Mexico doesn't have unlimited uh, plant counts. We already do. They'll they'll change it so they can start exporting. But we need to be ahead of the game. We need to see what's coming, know what's coming, so Arizona can be an export state for cannabis. It can be the six C. What is that? What is oh, it, like five C's or four yeah. C's? No, it's it's five. Cotton, I think cotton. it's cotton and copper, and so cannabis should be one of yeah. them. Candy, Citrus. cattle. I don't know because yeah. they learned that in elementary school, so they Cactus. they may not promote <laughs> cannabis being what? one of them. <laughs> what? Well, four C's. So it's citrus, copper, cotton, cotton, and cattle. 
and cannabis. Real quick, something that's been brought to my attention that maybe you guys could help me understand a little bit better because I've only just learned about it is that there's a caregiver, not licensed, but a way in which a caregiver can grow marijuana. And it's my understanding that each individual, each adult gives up their rights to be able to I'm a little bit confused. Can you help me finish that uh, thought? Let me make a joke. Why don't you guys take that one? Because I'm in enough trouble already. <laughs> in the medical program, uh, in the beginning, they needed a way for patients to get their uh, medicine. And so the caregiver program was established by the Department of Health, which allows an individual to, you can grow, as long as you're not within 25 miles of a licensed dispensary, you can cultivate up to six plants, I think 12 or 12 plants total, six mature. Um, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on the numbers, it seems, but it seems like I, I seem to recall as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, as a caregiver, it, you can, for other patients, they can assign you their cultivation rights. And then the caregiver can grow up to a maximum, I believe, of 200 plants. And then a lot of those caregivers who are licensed, it's totally legal. They can um, grow their plants and provide them to their patients. And then they can also sell that material to um, licensed operators as well. Oh, So that is kind of like a micro, but um, it's still really difficult in Arizona because of zoning restrictions mm-hmm. and um let's yeah. talk about zoning yeah restrictions. Oh, well yeah because so <laughs> it's no surprise audra and i sell commercial real estate right that's what our job is and we have sold um cannabis related real estate and have come across the zoning restrictions uh required to to provide that and it can be challenging to say the least At best yeah and that's why I made the joke earlier with you were saying if we could do 100 acres. I'm like, yeah, if you could find 100 acres. I mean, I don't think people look at Arizona and they see just, you know, like vast land. Right. But they don't realize how much of that is not for sale and how much of that is restricted due to zoning. Like you can't be what? Did, how many feet from a school, yeah, it, which is it, OK, it, but it, it all depends on the jurisdiction. But Meaning the county the or the city or the county, county. Okay. and the each state has, has a rule five hundred feet or the federal there's a state rule as well. But but let let's start with mm-hmm. big picture. Then maybe Julia or or, or uh, an Ari can can talk about the actual ramifications as to the real world and uh, the world that that we want to happen. But 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 starting at the big picture level, it frustrates me when a commercial real estate agent comes to me and says, "Where are the opportunities in cannabis?" And I have to say. There are very few opportunities in cannabis because we have such a restrictive licensing structure. That annoys me because I believe in entrepreneurism. I believe in free enterprise. I believe in opportunity. So uh, starting from the highest philosophical level, your listeners out there say, where are my opportunities? Well, they're very few because there's only 26 more dispensaries coming and there's only a few hundred cultivations and manufacturing centers being put up. Landowners should be available, should have the right to do what they want with their land, subject to certain restrictions, time, place, and manner, zoning at the local level. we That's the society we live in. But these questions are being wrestled with very actively. Well, they, they really aren't wrestled with that much, except for in regards to the social equity licenses. People are, 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 are deciding jurisdiction to jurisdiction how to deal with those. Uh, but these questions are being asked and answered over the last 10 years in the cannabis industry. Uh, in a way that they're usually not pulled out of thin air and asked and answered. I was actually in the council office in Tucson when we created the time, place, and manner for the dispensaries, cultivations, manufacturing. And I had count, uh, my, my, my 
friends in the city government who were like trying to like understand how many plants should be allowed to be cultivated in the city of Tucson. I have no clue about the economics and market structures and the realities that existed or were in place or coming. You know, it's just, I'm, I have become the ultimate non-fan of the government after all this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, but for your and listeners, this is an important topic. I think, too, you know, a lot of cities and towns have intentionally prohibited, you know, retail cultivation, manufacturing in it their cities. It was written into the proposition, right, that any city could say not not in our backyard. Correct. Right? So you have places like Chandler and Gilbert. Gilbert. Yes. Um, even Phoenix has restricted zoning for adult use only. They will allow dual which is the existing operators who have both a medical and an adult use license. But these social equity licenses that are coming out are just adult use. They're not medical, which doesn't make sense to me, but that's just how the law was written. They, they can only sell adult use. When the program was founded on, as medicine and they won't let them sell it as medicine, you know, it just makes no sense. But so, and that has caused problems because in all of these different cities and towns, they don't have zoning for adult use. And a lot of them are saying, we're not gonna do zoning for adult use. We're only gonna allow dual license operators, you know, in our jurisdiction. So where are they gonna go? Then they have to try to find a place that allows the zoning or get a variance, and then they have to pay attorneys, you know, to help them with that and engineers and, you know, everything else that goes along with um, finding a location, paying for that property, which a lot of times once people find out that it's for cannabis, the price doubles or triples and people That's are— accurate people are paying so much just because it's zoned properly. You know, a building that might be worth, you know, two or three million dollars is selling for like eight or 10 million because it's zoned for cannabis. And mm -hmm. so that's a, you know, it's it's tough. And and as a cannabis operator, you're, you're, you can't write things off. Well, and <laughs> just to like, just for reference, I had a client who was, he's in a 1031 exchange. So he was looking for an investment property here. And I came across a cannabis building right? That's being sold. So not the, not the business that's still there. It's just the building itself. We call it like a triple net, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. And so I looked into it and the building was $3 million. He had about a million and a half to spend. So he would need lending. So I reached out to his lender. You see Audrish not shaking her not head going to happen. because not going to happen. He's the lender was like, we do not lend on cannabis based businesses, Absolutely buildings. Not. And so he would need $3 million cash in order to purchase that property. So if you are, say, a social equity person who had to scrimp together the $4,000 just for the license itself, how in the world are you going to have $3 million for a building structure and to then operate your business? Because you can't get lending. It has to be and, cash. Well, you can get lending, yeah. but it's going to cost you like 18%. That's, that's a and credit card. So, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's like no matter what, you're in a predatory situation. Right. And what do you do? You know, you have to have a lot of money. It's like, you know, how do you make a small fortune in the cannabis industry? You know, start with a larger one. I mean, it's not it's not that easy. <laughs> right. And know? where's where's the equity in that then? Right. Like, that's my it's, question. And it's time. You know, you really have to look at your ROIs, you know, your mm -hmm. return on investment mm -hmm. and really do those numbers and understand what you're getting into because, you know, you might be in over your head. And that's something true, too. Like in New Mexico, I was commenting on how there's just so many different cultivations and retail locations that are popping up. Are these people going to actually succeed or are they going to fail and lose 
everything, all their family's money. Like, you know, only time will tell, but right. that's that's free market. Well, that would be you know? no different than starting a restaurant, right? Like right. 50% yep. of restaurants fail. And so it's like, if, if as long as you have the capital, as long as, you know, you have your seed money, you can go make pizzas where almost wherever you want, right? So right. it would almost be like that type of structure. Yes. Just with cannabis. Yes. With with our clients, I have jokingly called it the marijuana tax. Um, it's amazing, as Julie was saying, how things, as soon as they find out that it's marijuana, then the, the price, price just goes right through the ceiling. And and there's not much you can do about it. It, it is what it is. Um, and then once again, finding the correct zoning and whatnot and trying to place some of these people in some of these, fo- in some of these spots. For example, I thought I found the perfect place for for one of our clients. I was super excited, started doing all my due diligence. Oh, look, there's a gym down the way. And for crying in the mud, wouldn't you just know it? There's a daycare in this gym. And so therefore, because there's a daycare and it was like 25 feet difference. And I was like, I didn't even Dang think it all about to the heck daycare. Anyway. I knew about the school. Schools, daycares, yeah. churches. It all depends on the municipality. Right. However, wow. but for the most part, like residential. Um, so you have to do all these measuring, all these, all these calculations to figure out whether or not, not even is it zoned, but is it proper distance from certain different entities. So when I start looking for some of these wonderful people that I've met through Meta and had the opportunity to try and help, it's just super, super difficult. I mean, I like to say that my car, my auto users are difficult. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Marijuana is dang near impossible, which, which going back to the whole social equity thing and and, and being fair, it's not quite right. Right. I mean, again, reality, Julia, she's got it. (laughs) You've got reality. I don't care about reality. I care about what could be. Well, if we could write, you know, if we I call them blue sky contracts. If you could write anything in the blue sky I want. No, here's the thing. Not just in cannabis, but probably all laws, all rules, all regulations. They have origins. They came from somewhere. You know, it's a complicated web that we've woven over the last thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. This industry was created out of thin air. The cartels aren't in it anymore. Those guys in college, they're not in it anymore. Some of the growers have been trying to get into it. We create an industry out of thin air, but there's nothing right or wrong about it. It's just a matter of perception. And all those rules and regulations, they're written and drafted by policymakers at the city, the county, the state, and soon to be the federal government. And I would urge people to think to themselves, well, am I going to support somebody that understands opportunity, that understands economics, that understands uh, the free market for public office? You know, and, and and interview them and ask them what they know about cannabis policy, cannabis structure. And it, you can use that as a model to just kind of understand their philosophical leanings in general. But it's so important that the citizens and the and 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 the individuals out there get to those who make the decisions and say, you know what, I'd like to be able to sell more real estate. You know, I'd like to be able to sell more plumbing, more electrical, more accounting, more legal. And we need a little bit more of a robust market. And one day it would be nice to see that cannabis become the fifth, fifth C? Fifth C. <laughs> fifth C of Arizona. One of the C's. If we act now, we can prepare our state to have more manufacturing, more cultivation, so that we can export great products like the ones Ari wants to produce across the country. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if Anheuser-Busch, for example, or mm-hmm. Pfizer, or uh, what's, a, what's an innocuous? Doritos. Right. Or is that Frito-Lay? Frito-Lay. Wouldn't it be nice if they were all headquartered here in 
Phoenix. Wouldn't that be awesome? We can make that happen if we can have intelligent discussions. But the question that would come up that would be literally the million dollar question would be water, right? For our state in particular. And so if say, like, let's say our blue sky is out there and let's say we are the the country's leading state for cultivation for all the things, what? how would we address our water issues? Well, I mean, we have agricultural crops being grown in water. What I would say is let's give the farmers the choice mm-hmm. as to whether they produce a crop of cantaloupe watermelon that they can sell for $5, $10 a pound or, or, or some sort of cannabis-related crop that they can sell. Right now, it's thousands of dollars a pound. Wholesale is somewhere between 500 and Fifteen hundred, depending on on, on the on type the of, product of, of the product. Yeah. So, but but wouldn't you rather be a farmer with the choice as to how to use the water, and then we can buy from our our lettuce from California or New Mexico, where nobody wants to cultivate Dimitri, because they have restricted plant counts. But Dimitri, what happens if there's no water left? You so that's, know, that's, I mean, that's actually what's <laughs> yeah, happening now, guys. It, yeah, yeah. And I'd like to point out that we are in a huge drought situation. Yeah. And our neighbors to the north in Las Vegas, um, they are not allowing any homes to grow grass any longer. It's 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 completely it's, prohibited. Lake Mead yeah. is so, at like such all time low. It's, it's very long. scary. It and is, there's going to be a drought in California. So, so what's, fire, what they're starting I mean, to talk about now is that they're starting to talk about limiting agricultural water. Right. And that's the first thing that's going to go. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I think we should, t- should talk about the golf courses here in right. Arizona. But and I'm watering not go- our lawns. Yeah, right. for, mean, sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And I, swimming pools. I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. It's like there's so much excess well, I mean, water Governor, that we're using. Governor Ducey wants to spend a billion dollars bringing water up from, from Rocky Point. You know, that's a great plan. Oh. It's a nice plan. Desalination is not a bad route. We'll build a big pipeline up from down there in Rocky Point. Great idea. We could figure out how we could get cannabis to pay for it. Actually, I've already structured in my mind exactly how cannabis could pay for that billion-dollar pipeline. What would that look like? I'm not going to share it unless Carrie Lake or Katie Hobbs calls me directly. Well, we uh, Katie Hobbs is on our list of people to have on the show. So when she comes, maybe we'll invite you. Yeah, no, I I have it all structured (laughs) in my mind because I grew up in a world where you know Dune was everything. Mm -hmm. Dune, he who controls the spice controls the universe, and it's a constant battle of of needs and wants and greeds and personnel to control the spice. Remember at the end, the spice, the after Mwadi abused the mm-hmm. spice, he managed to get the spice uh, to bring water to Arrakis, the desert planet. There's a way, that, and that's where it came to me. And I, when Deucey talked about his billion-dollar pipeline, I'm like, I think I know how to make that happen. <laughs> right? I, could, I, could, I could do this and do this and adjust this and just change this, such as this. We can make that happen. Well, and how is he going to do that when he's out of office? Well, next but, but year? so he's okay. he's gone. Yeah, right. But, like, but, why uh, even create a but, plan when you can't well, execute but, it? But well, he's he wasn't even thinking enough to to legalize it. When there were some smart Republican business legislators who were like, when? you know, spoke up publicly, <laughs> Ethan Orr, Jeff Dial, some of these guys were like, well, we should legalize it because this is what the voters, you know, it makes sense. Prohibition doesn't work as a management tool. And I always say, if you uh, hold the thought on the water, spice, water, doing thing. But if you hate cannabis, if you think it sucks, tax, regulate, educate, eradicate. If you love cannabis, if you think it's a therapeutic medicine that's going to help you in some capacity, and I hope and I know that it does. I don't use it myself, but I've seen it work very effectively. Tax, regulate, educate, participate. In no reality does prohibition exist. A lot of intelligent business Republicans got that in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. But they couldn't speak up because they would say to me all the time, Dimitri, it doesn't help me in my primaries because my old fuddy-duddies, my old moralists think Mm -hmm. that cannabis is inherently evil. I'm like, well, just tell them. Tax, regulate, educate, eradicate. They can teach people that it sucks. 
but don't let those people that know that it works for them as a therapeutic medicine. It's not that's only better than a... NyQuil. That's better than Adderall. Let them participate, you know, but, but they didn't, they didn't, right. They didn't cause they didn't have the courage to do it in their, in their primaries. And, and poor Ethan Orr back in 2013, 14, he's now like the VP of U of A something. He actually came out and said, it makes sense. And then the, the, the Republican base came after him and saying, he's crazy. He wants to legalize marijuana. No, he's smart. Marijuana and happens. look where we are today, seven years later. He was right. I'll go back to the Dune thing later. <laughs> Sorry, Julia. Yeah, I'm just going to comment that, you know, you keep talking about it as, you know, therapeutic value, which obviously that's that's known there fact, yes. right? But I believe in both the social and the medical use of cannabis. I don't think there's anything wrong with using it socially either. And, and you mean, so, by socially, you mean what we are used to like, as recreationally, Correct. Right? It's correct. no different than if you are drinking a beer or a having glass a glass of wine. of wine. It's the same yes. type of participation. Except for it doesn't have calories and it doesn't burn, <laughs> kill your brain cells. So. Right. And it doesn't like give you a hangover in the right. morning. Yes. Yeah. You know, alcohol is toxic. You, you know, we all know that. But it's like the common, regular, everyday people, you know, talk about it. They're doing it on morning shows. They're drinking, you know, everything. So to me, you know, cannabis should be normalized in that sense. I mean, it's it's no... no yeah. And we and we it's just philosophical difference. Yeah, I I cannot believe what alcohol has gotten away with. The concept of recreational alcohol to me is absolutely insane. Of using any substance that you can become dependent on recreationally is absolutely insane. It should be used responsibly and therapeutically, and people should have a right to choose their substance, their their whatever it is. If I want to drink coffee in the morning to pick me up, actually I I did drink a cup of coffee. That's why I'm probably so excited right now. <laughs> But I drink coffee as a drug. Right, exactly. And, you know, I do. I, I use coffee therapeutically. I mean, to do recreational coffee, that's insane, like, too. I can tell you I am dependent so. on coffee. Yeah. Like, if there was a 12-step program for my coffee use, I would have to join it. Right. Because if you took it away, there would be a problem. So we shouldn't have a coffee store in every corner? I'm just saying, I don't feel like we have enough coffee stores. Yeah. Well, that's the Seattleite I mean, in me. I maybe that's what's it. causing your I, dependency. I also, I... But that, we can talk about yes. that after. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. But I think I voted way back in the day to legalize marijuana because my idea was is that there's so many different regulations and 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 that that would go away, right? I mean, the war on drugs, right, right has has diminished greatly because, as Dimitri said, the cartels are no longer involved. So I think there's so many different layers to legalization of marijuana that has helped our society and helped with some of the issues that we've been battling for so long and spending so much money on. I mean, the whole war on drugs is just nutty to think about. Whereas if you can regulate it and tax it and then use those funds for recovery or for education right. for all those things, I think you're in a much better position as a society. Well, and that's what Oregon's trying to do with some of their legalization or uh, not legalization. They are taking away the fines and the fees and things like that for decriminalization. For, yeah, thank you for some of the heavier hitting drugs. And that's literally what it's for. It's so that they can actually treat people who are dependent on them on the streets and whatever. Because we all know Oregon has a very high homeless population issue that's largely related to drug use. So it's like, not that marijuana is in that category at all, but it would have the same effect where you're just, you're taking it out of the, the cartel hands or the drug pusher hands and just kind of giving back the ability to be able to help save people from it. But they have been seen as such a like crazy leftist, like 
process because of that. And it's like, but if you think about it pragmatically, sometimes that makes a lot of sense. And sometimes someone just has to do it to then go through the process to see if that if that makes sense for people. I think the next thing that's going to be coming online is psilocybin. <laughs> you know, that's kind of... Isn't that uh, mushrooms? That's a, that's a whole yes. another hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean... Have you talked to Joe Rogan? Uh, I think he's yeah, a fan. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, I've, I've studied it for a while as well. I believe in, you know, sort of natural remedies, if you will, over, you know, the pharmaceutical drugs that are prescribed well, by doctors. there's no profit in that, though. So it, that's where the biggest problem comes in. Right, right, right. And that is, you know, and that's the frustration. Why, you know, why can't we study these natural products and do clinical trials and really understand the efficacy of these products rather than, you know, I mean, the pharma drugs that got through got through on clinical trials, but those were designed by pharma companies and they kept doing them until they passed, until they got the results that they wanted. And it was just a business. That's all, you know, it, and why can't we do the same thing? Like, why aren't we allowed to do that? So why do you think? hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I don't know about the why you think, but I was going to say I'm with Julie on the medicinal benefits, especially trying to get people off of pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. and onto cannabis or especially with like the whole COVID. Um, I agree with you using it for like the social benefit also because during the whole COVID um, pandemic or epidemic, everybody's been staying at home, not trying to get out with people or getting depressed, not being able to eat, not being able to sleep, all these different medical problems that people created because of this whole COVID isolation. And now like people are being able to go out and smoke with their friends or go and learn and do activities, but still use cannabis to try to mellow them out and not be so right. anxious. I you think know? that, well, because liquid courage, right, comes from alcohol. Yeah. Why couldn't you have the exact same mellowing yeah. effect to hang out with your people, which goes back to Dimitri's point of educate, educate, well, educate. I, 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 I have been studying substance abuse 10 years now, and, and we have a little subtle disagreement here, but we all agree on liberty and choice. <laughs> right. We all agree on liberty and choice. But, you know, the goal is to not be dependent on anything. Right. The goal is to figure out what the problem is. So what she referred to, those issues, they were caused by a COVID pandemic shutdown. So people that needed a drink, they needed to play golf, they needed to use marijuana. So solve the program, solve the problem, open up the society, open up right. the communities, people of choice. If you have trouble sleeping at night, don't say I'm going to use NyQuil, Jack Daniels, or anything to sleep. Acceptable. Figure out or why you're figure out yeah. figure out why you're not sleeping at night. Right. Ask yourself questions. Your Do some reflection. Load, your anxiety. Right. Yeah. Your and, your environment. Right. And and and, and I have, do a lot of yoga. I do it every day. And fortunately, because I do a lot of yoga, I spend a lot of time reflecting, a lot of time understanding this stuff. And the goal is to lead a substance free, substance free life. You have to drink a cup of coffee every day to, to pick yourself up to do this show. Why? Why? Why aren't you just why don't you just wake up that way? Is there any adjustment that you could do in your life to prepare yourself so in the morning you feel like you just drank a cup of coffee? I think I offered to sell my kids in the last show. So maybe that's a conversation. Why would you, you know, it's like some people want to live the life of a monk and be, you know, completely free of all substances and eat right. a certain way. Yeah, I came down off my mountain. <laughs> and, and it's just, to me, I don't know. Like, I want to have fun, too. You know, right. yeah. like, have I mean, fun. I like anandamide. I like feeling joy and bliss. And It was lonely you know. on the mountaintop. <laughs> I came down. You can, you can create those same experiences through meditation, through physical right. activity. There's many different ways. And it's kind of, you know, what do you feel like in that moment? Mm -hmm. And what is it, what are you going to get out of it in that moment? You well, know? and I think you can have 
both mindsets exist in the same space, right? You can figure out what right. the root cause of that problem is through meditation, through whatever of your environment mm -hmm. and all the things, but then know that I'm adding this in for this effect, whatever uh, that is. You know, if they try to do prohibition for coffee, I will protect you. Thanks. I will defend you. I appreciate you. that. I, I'm going to need it. I will Nobody stop them. Nobody wants to see that. Okay. There's, we can all agree that the government has no rule in the role role. Mm -hmm. And the personal lives and personal decisions of Ari, of Julia, of myself, mm -hmm. whatever it is, they have, they, we need to keep them out as far away from us as possible because they know nothing about what she needs or what she needs. That, that, that's what we can all agree on that. But that comes back to educate, educate, educate. And yeah. the only way it's we are going to do that is by continuing to have these conversations, by continuing to have the ability to put these different items into practice and, you know, by clinical trials or anything like that. So I wouldn't be a willing participant in signing up for what happens to people when you take coffee away, but I'm sure somebody <laughs> might. Yep. Right. 100%. I also don't want to say it's like 100% like a substance abuse either because Correct. some people do necessarily need it. Mm -hmm. For for example, like people who are trying to treat anxiety or depression, stuff like that. I mean, you could do yoga and a whole bunch of therapy, but it that costs thousands of dollars. Like yeah. a chemical imbalance. Yeah, exactly. It is literally a chemical imbalance. You're not producing enough dopamine or serotonin or whatever. Your body physically cannot do that. You know so, what I mean? I'll tell you, when I used to live in Portland, Oregon and Seattle, when I lived in Portland, I was an adult. I had already lived here. We moved. We had a moment of weakness in a hot summer, and we moved back to Portland, and we lived there for about three years. I suffered seasonal depression worse than any postpartum I've dealt with, any anything in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard as even a very strong individual to pull myself out of. And if there are people that live like that in their headspace every day, I 100% believe that they need whatever whatever they need to work through that and that is probably yeah. a, an imbalance of some kind whether right. it's Prozac but, or Zoloft right. or cannabis right. or Xanax right. or Adderall or whatever right. people are taking because Hi. they're going to their doctors and asking Correct. for these things Hi. you know my name is Dimitri Downing and I'm a recovering yoga addict <laughs> We're supposed to all say we love you, Dimitri. <laughs> Welcome, Dimitri. Welcome, Dimitri. <laughs> I also believe, um, too, like besides like anxiety and depression, people have things out there like epilepsy. Yeah. For instance, they're like, yes, yeah, schizophrenia, seizures, stuff like that. So when they go and they have to go to the hospital and request these things, if they don't have insurance, those things are a hundred, a hundred and twenty-five, three hundred dollars per twelve pills, and they can't stop having these kind of like right. seizures or reactions. And then, like for instance, if I'm like the mother of that child, I have to watch my child. I'll go through that. So now I have anxiety, depression, PTSD right. or whatever and because that, I can't treat my that's child. That's back to the root causes of, of what's creating that anxiety or yeah, triggering and, and that. that, that that's, that's more medicinal. That yes. that has to be. Correct. But But if she had her ideal world, her child wouldn't have to have anything wrong with it. But if there's a problem that you can solve yourself by reflecting and analyzing it and coming to understand yourself better, wouldn't you wish that reality upon yourself or anyone that you love? I, I like I like your big picture thinking and we have to wrap up. So, you know, maybe another time we can invite everybody back again yeah. and, and talk about it again. But I want everybody to know how they can contact you. And so please tell the listeners your contact information, your Instagram, whatever that looks like. Yeah. So if I may, may, may make a big picture, same here. If you want to wax philosophically and talk about things that don't exist, Contact me. <laughs> come to Mita. Right. If you want to get into the nuances about how the industry really works, contact Julia and come to Mita. 
If you want to meet somebody who's going to be a future cannabis entrepreneur and dominate this space, contact Ari. She'll also be at Meetup. Ari, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is smokeari with two eyes. Okay. All right. And then what, Julia, what is yours? I'm more of an observer on social media, okay. not so much a participant. <laughs> well, you can observe me. At you can investment. find her on LinkedIn. There you go. I'll be on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yes. yes. <laughs> at Investment Real Estate AZ. Thank you, everybody, so much for coming. We appreciate your time. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've been listening to Smashing Through Walls, a place for robust conversations about the building and blocks of Arizona commercial and real estate investments. Host Carla McGee is a commercial real estate broker with MHG Commercial, powered by My Home Group. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of My Home Group and do not constitute any offer or advertisement of business or services. The real estate market is cyclical and listeners assume all responsibilities should any return on investment, tax consequences, credit effects, or financing terms not meet their expectations. Guests may not be qualified to provide financial, legal, or tax advice regarding a real estate transaction. Listeners are advised to obtain professional tax and legal advice and counsel. 